Today's show is sponsored by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. All June long at Cufflinks.com, it's 30% off all sports. You like sports? They got sports. Use the code SPORTS30 to get 30% off all sports all June. It's Sports June at Cufflinks.com. Go to Cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Hey, Father's Day is coming up. You know what dads like? They like sports. Welcome to Daily DVR Does Big Little Lies Season 2. My name is Axel. My co-host throughout this seven-episode second season will be Jenny. And you can find out more about us at DVRpodcast.com. I am going to introduce Jenny in just a moment. But I do just want to tell you, if you're new to us, please do leave a review or some stars. And you can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash DVR. Today, we're going to be recapping the first season of Big Little Lies and bringing you up to speed with a little preview of the second season, which premieres this Sunday, June 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern on HBO here in the United States. Otherwise, I don't know how you get it. People get it. How do people get it in other places? It's Jenny. Hi, Jenny. How are you doing? I am good. How are you, Axel? I'm doing great. I'm excited. I know we just finished both rewatching. I just finished today, actually. Um, yes, I finished the other day. Yeah. And uh, this is, uh, I'm excited to get into it. We're going to talk about Big Little Lies. And I don't know, you got anything else you want to say? You excited? I am excited. This is my first foray into podcasting, so I'm super excited. Yeah, that's right. This is it. Podcast numero uno. And I already started by forgetting to hit record. So we are on a good we're on a good train here. All right. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna give a little breakdown of the first season, a little bit of facts about the show itself. Then we're going to talk about the first season and kind of bring you back up to speed, remind you what happened more character by character rather than episode by episode. So you get a better feel for where these characters are at heading into season two and whatever heck craziness is going to happen. So Big Little Lies is based on the 2014 Australian novel of the same name by Liane Moriarty. It premiered on HBO on February 19th, 2017. So it's been over two years since the show was on. It doesn't seem that. Does it seem like it's been two years to you? No, but when I was looking back, I noticed that like the second episode aired on my birthday. There you go. (laughs) Which is in February. That's nice. You do remember things like that, don't you? Like by life occasions that happen? I actually, I didn't remember it until I was like looking back to get information when I was taking my notes for the pod. And I was like, oh, that was on my birthday. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Little B-Day time. But yeah, two years doesn't seem that long to me. But um, even when I was re-watching it, I remembered so much of it. I was actually a little bit surprised at that. Um, all right. It was created and written by David E. Kelly, who has also created Picket Fences, Chicago Hope, The Practice, and most famously, Ali McBeal, Boston Public, and Boston Legal. For a little while there, Fox was like David E. Kelly World. Uh, The series' seven episodes in the first season was directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, 
who directed uh, the films Crazy, Young Victoria, and for him, most famously, Dallas Buyers Club, which I think kind of secured a full order. It's rare that a director is given a full order on a season, and this is kind of almost a companion, in a sense, to True Detective, which did that in the first season. And this is, in the second season, they're continuing this in Big Little Lies. All seven episodes of season two are written by Kelly, but this time directed by Andrea Arnold, who has done the films Red Road, Fish Tank, and American Honey, with Shia LaBeouf. None of which I've heard of. (laughs) (laughs) American Honey is supposed to be really good. Honestly, I was going to ask you before you said a minute ago, because I'm, you know, a huge Game of Thrones fan and listening to all the podcasts and everything. Um, they all like were directed by different people. And I mean, I know several people, David Nutter and Miguel Sapochnik, et cetera, and others had directed several episodes throughout the eight seasons, but like nobody like directed all of them. So when you were reading that or telling that, portion about the whole first season was directed by Valet and the second season being directed by Arnold. I was like, is that unusual? But you answered my question. Good job, Axel. That's why I'm here, baby. That's why I'm here (laughs) to answer the big questions. And yeah, it is, it is, it's becoming, it's becoming more usual, but it is still unusual. And that's because, you know, it takes a lot to direct. I mean, that's like three movies. You know, and um, actually, I was watching a little bit of the behind the scenes, and the last episode, which the um, the big fundraiser, which they which they call throughout the show. It's interesting. What do they call it throughout trivia the trivia night? Yeah, they call it trivia night. So I think it's it is the fundraiser for the school, but. I don't know why it's called trivia night. Yeah, kind of, I never understood. But that is that. what they call it, and it definitely has a theme. And for whatever yeah. reason, it was Elvis and Audrey, which seemed like an odd pair, but you know, mm, an interesting pair, which I think ha- says something about the show, you know. And I wanted to talk about that, but I this trivia night. Um, I I wonder. It's weird that they called it that. That's a that's that to me felt. That's one of the touches that I loved about this show. The little it was so, it was not my world. I did not, you know, grow oh, up. Dude, in the, I'm so far from yes. that world. <laughs> the affluent uh, suburbs on Monterey. My husband is from the Bay Area in California originally, um, but he's very far from a California frame of mind. <laughs> um, and when I after I was finished watching that season again i was like i want to actually he sat down when i was watching the final episode of season or one and um i was like i want to move there and he's like good luck i'm not moving back there i'm like but it's so beautiful i want to (laughs) go yeah that's not yeah i i uh i did not grow up there i mean i grew up in new jersey but this this is a uh this is so beautiful um the, the whole area there and the way it's shot is such a big part of it. Um, this area has such resonance within the show. 
it's such a huge part of feeling and and going through this first season. Uh, you do want to go there, but you can feel that it's almost as if they're like pushed up against the ocean, you know, like, yes. like the ocean is not uh, kind of like people see it as a freedom. It's almost as a, an oppressor that's yes. kind of knocking yes, them. Especially for Jane and Madeline. Yes. But anyway, you need to get back to introducing them. Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> we, we digress, but this is all good stuff. Um, yeah, I but know. Yeah, so basically we're going to see in this season, uh, it, it's good to note the director, that there's a new director this season. And I wanted to kind of mention that. And that's why I want to go through this before, because right. so much of this first season was told um, through valet and directing, you know, these three films, all this stuff. And what I was saying was that it took them 15 nights from 8 p.m. till 6 a.m. to shoot the final 40 minutes of the show. I heard that on the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So it just goes to show you just that 40 minutes. So that's why usually one director does not like they usually kind of change crews up too. You know, a director mm-hmm. will come in, the, the the DP will change, produce like some of the line producers, some other people will change to kind of freshen it up. Uh, and you see how much work that is on the actors and actresses in this show. And which is, I mean, this show is all these five women, you know, so, right. so much screen time that they have. It's just a tremendous amount of work and time and effort that went into this show. It's amazing and beautiful. Um, all right. So I'm going to give my little kind of uh, season review. Big Little Lies tells the story of five women and their families in the affluent seaside enclave of Monterey, California. Over the course of seven episodes, I judged it at about two weeks to a month. How much time do you think took place? I would I would guess that to be close to yeah probably i mean max like the seven weeks it took for you know the shows to come out i wouldn't think it was more than a month and a half or so i you know yeah, maybe think- two months like it it, it it isn't a real long period of time i don't think because there are between episodes you can tell it's at least been a few days right. but yeah I wouldn't judge it at more than a month and a half. Okay, cool. Because yeah, it seems to me it's like kind of how when school starts and then it's quickly midterms, you know what I mean? Like it's almost as if this is like their fall formal, this trivia night. Right. So it's only kind of maybe like a little bit into October, not yet November when this happens. Not that it matters when you're in Southern California. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, So we're introduced to the characters through a major plot point. Um, Renata's daughter, Annabella, is being bullied at school, and the teacher and Annabella point to Ziggy, the new kid at school, as the culprit. Ziggy's mom is Jane, a young woman who just arrived in Monterey and was befriended by Madeline on the first day at school. We later find out Ziggy is actually the product of rape by an unknown man that Jane has never told anyone but Madeline about. Madeline is super driv- is a super-driven stay-at-home mom who is having an affair with the director of the school play, which is Avenue Q, right? 
Well, it's not really the school play. It's like a community theater okay. play. But yes, it is called Avenue Q. And she had an affair in the past, isn't really carrying it into the present-ish. <laughs> Ish. I think, yeah. yeah, that that that's something that I wanted to talk about too. Like yes. the kind of how much we trust that. Uh, yes. While dealing with her teenage daughter, Chloe, and her ex-husband, Nathan, and his beautiful young wife, Bonnie. Over the course of the show, Madeline and Renata battle over birthday parties and the content of the play, while all along it was actually David, I believe is, is a young boy's name, right? The young son Max. of- it's Oh, Max. Max. Okay, sorry. They're, the twins' names are Max and Josh, which okay. took me to like the last episode to remember. <laughs> yeah, Because <kids, laughs> I know, just, kids. in my notes, if you noticed, I just refer to them as the twins. The twins. <laughs> or the boys. The twins, <laughs> right. One of her twins, Max, one of the twins of Celeste. Madeline's closest friend who was the bully. It seems he has learned from his dad, Perry, who abu- who r- routinely abuses Celeste. They have been trying to work through with a therapist to no avail and Celeste is about to flee Perry when he finds out on the night of the big fundraiser trivia night. Perry accosts Celeste in front of Madeline, Jane, and Renata and Jane realizes Perry is in fact her rapist. As they try to stop Perry from kicking Celeste, Bonnie appears and pushes him down the steps, killing him. That and That's a quick brush of the season. We're going to get more into it. We end, actually, though, with the police pol- seem to not be buying their story, and the one lead detective seems to be spying on them as they're on the beach together as we end season one. So that's the last shot of season one. Now we're going to get into it a little bit. First off, now that we've kind of gotten introduced again to this story, we've both rewatched it. What did what did you think about season one? What's just your general opinion, and then we'll break it down kind of couple by couple. So honestly, I I really enjoyed it. I thought that um, it was a good kind of whodunit with a whole lot more details than uh, what I would expect from like this kind of whodunit. Um, I, I had no idea for sure who it was who had killed whom until toward the end. I mean, obviously actually in the last episode, because you keep thinking, which we'll probably discuss later, how throughout the seven episodes, all the women are talking about wanting to kill people. <laughs> like yes. they're angry and their commentary literally states that they, you know, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to choke them. I'm under this, I'm under that. And it's just, ugh. so I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm hoping that this, this second season is as good as the first season was. I was surprised when I found out they were making a second season, even though I knew how successful the first season was, but like, it's a, it's a whodunit. And the whole premise of the story leading from episode one to episode seven is that you're trying to figure out who killed whom and why. Yes. So Uh, yeah, that that is something that I actually left out there. Right. Which is, yeah. And then, and then when you're, when you get to episode seven and you finally find out who died and who did it, you're shocked because, well, you're not shocked at who died, 
but you're shocked at who did it because it's the one person in the whole season who was Miss Granola and trying to make everybody happy and like the feel good person, the nature person, the yoga person. And that was totally unexpected. So I thought it was great, but I did not see how they were going to start a second season until I, I saw the, the preview and I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Cause it's kind of the, it's, it, it reminds me honestly in a different way. I don't know if you've watched the Netflix series 13 series, 13 reasons why, no, but I, I had not. wondered uh, how after that, they were going to have a second season. And I thought the second season was very interesting. So I think that this, this show has very good potential, especially with the actors involved to have an amazing second season as well. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because as I was reading over my kind of season one review there, I noticed that I left some left out a huge part of it, which I know we're going to talk about, which is that the main premise of the show is we find out in the first episode that someone died at trivia night. And that builds up throughout the entire series season, what was the series at that point, um, with flashbacks, little flashbacks of sight and sound as well as interviews with the people who are the auxiliary characters, parents, school administrators, people in the Yes, in the those area. bitches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even the guys, they're bitches too. Yeah, every, they're amazing uh, scenes varying throughout the episodes. I think like episode one and two have the most of those. Then they kind of almost trail out for three, four, five, they're still there, but they're fewer. Then six right. and seven, they bring them back more again and remind you that there's a mystery. And that's one of the interesting things about the show is that even though there is a central mystery, two central mysteries, really, who died and who is who raped Jane and who is well, the real it's father? Three, because who died? Who raped Jane? And, and, who, and killed who killed the person? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Jenny. You're right. <laughs> totally. So, but for me, those three mysteries became less central, and what stood out was the characters. Yes, and was and their the story. Yeah, was the acting. Was Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Zoe Kravitz, Laura Dern. Amazing actresses just every time, the whether the scenes were short or long, because this is a very interesting show, the way there's a lot of very short scenes, like less than a minute sometimes, uh, and then very long scenes as well that the acting took over. So when I looked, when I thought about the second season, I thought to myself, they've got such a great stable of actresses here and such a great location and vibe. They can pretty much, I was ready for anything. Uh, as soon as it ended, I said to my wife, they're doing season two. Well, of course. I mean, it was kind of a given because they had that slate of actresses. Yeah. And I mean, still, uh, <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård is an amazing yeah, actor as well, and I, I really, I liked him in True Blood. He's hot. Yeah. He was, he was more. I'm so glad you said that, Jenny, because the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, man, he hasn't really been like this since True Blood. 
Because he and was really, like this like, on True Blood. He had, he had amazing chemistry with Nicole Kidman. And mm-hmm. their scenes were awesome together. And I hated seeing him be the bad guy. But he was good at it. I mean, yes. and he's hot. And, he, and the way they <laughs> represented this relationship yes. was – was also so centrally interesting to this show because they didn't represent Celeste Nicole Kidman she as a, a, um an abused yes, wife like an like kind of an abused like the typical i would say stereotypical way yes. television would do it and honestly even throughout even when she's yeah. been beaten and beaten and beaten and even in the scenes where we see him beating her yeah she as she tells the, the, the psychologist or whatever, the counselor in, in the later episodes when they're seeing the counselor, um, she hits back. She doesn't just take it from him, yes. but it definitely is an abuser, abusee situation. It is so, so classic. Let's start out with, let's start out with them. Uh, so we have five main uh, couples and um, let's start out with Nicole Kidman as Celeste Wright, Alexander Skarsgård as Perry Wright, Celeste's husband. They have two young sons, which you just reminded me. Their names are Josh and, and Max. Max, which I had already forgot, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it took me till yeah. episode seven to oh. remember that. And I only remember it now because I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. And they are um, – Perry travels a lot. Celeste is a former lawyer, now stay-at-home mom. Yes. Very, very quiet in public and with her friends, very reserved, more up, more aggressive with him, uh, a very caring mother. Um, Mm -hmm. But their relationship is one where their sexual life and their, just their communication is based on violence. It is. And it's and as we, it's hard. You know, it's hard to judge as you you see these shows. They only show you what they show you, especially in something like this. But it does seem as if it's it comes from him that it was his way, and she accepted that as part of their relationship. Right, and from what they say later, you know, when he's trying to get her to get pregnant again because he wants to keep having control over her, which is the ultimate sign of an abuser. I mean, there's other people who are controlling who are not literally abusing their spouses, but he definitely had all the key signs. And he he would, you know, he wouldn't just abuse her. It's like he would sabotage their family life. Like for instance, when the, the one time when they were all having a meal together and the boys weren't listening to her and she asked him to intervene, he intervenes, they start eating. And then he immediately turns it into some kind of game with the boys. And he, which this is weird and uh, probably like Freudish or some other Nietzsche. I don't know. I'm not a psychoanalyst, (laughs) but uh, the way he suddenly turns it into a game with the boys and he calls himself a monster. Mm, Did you catch that? He called himself a monster. That's throughout the whole season. So many times. And it was in more than one episode. It wasn't probably in the first episode, but he called himself a monster more than once and he always wanted to have control over her and he always wanted to 
to be able to keep her in line and have her where he wanted her when he wanted her there. He did not want her to be doing things with her law degree any longer. He wanted her to only be at home and it just, ugh. Yes. And that's what comes into play here is that the play uh, that Madeline is helping to produce uh, Avenue Q is under threat by the community and Renata because they feel that it is perhaps not the right subject matter. And so Madeline enlists Celeste to become a lawyer again. And this is a big impetus in the series for uh, Perry upping his control because she, he sees her friends and her escaping him. Right. And perhaps Mm -hmm. is what leads also for finally the child Max to imitate what his father's doing, which we have a couple of key scenes where we see the boat, where we just hear the boys playing video games and it's just a shot of the vent and you can hear them having sex and fighting with each other and him Mm -hmm. hitting her that the boys are soaking this in. So this, this season is, we're not just picking up, with a new person in town, which is Jane, but Jane, it's a confluence of events. It's also Celeste finding herself again. You know, I was just noticing something in my, my notes, <laughs> my very lengthy notes, yes. <laughs> which, which I should just put those notes on the website. I'm going to go to DVR podcast. I'm going to put all the notes up because Jenny's notes are legendary. Jenny took way too many notes because she was trying to remember what happened in all the scenes in all the episodes. So she would be able to discuss this intelligently. So anyway, (laughs) um, when, so in the first episode, uh, when Celeste and Perry talk about Amabella and it's really not Annabella, just by the way, it's Emma, which is the strangest name, but makes, Emma makes with sense, an M. Though. Makes sense. Totally. Amabella's. Yeah. So when Celeste and Perry were talking about Amabella's assault in the first episode and he like became totally crazy on it and was so like going off about how this happened and she was kind of, you know, making light of it. Like it's not that big a deal. Because, you know, Celeste is good friends with Madeline and Madeline had made friends with Jane and Jane is Ziggy's mom. And so it all came down to a little circular thing. But I found it really weird that he was like acting like such a lunatic considering how he behaves towards his own wife. Well, well, that's why, right? Right. That, that's, but yeah. also, like, then I was, while you were talking, I was reading back and I was like, man, lots of this stuff is about control. Because in the first episode, Jane had a phone conversation with her mom and then she was subsequently talking to her son. And it sounded like she really did need to get away from her parents because they were trying to control her. And then Madeline confronted her older daughter, Abigail, about going to college. And Abigail's like, I can get life experiences and I can do this and that. And I don't necessarily need to go to college right away or maybe not at all. But it was all about control for Madeline. Yeah. Well, that's so So there's lots of controlling behaviors in this show that I didn't even put that all together till I was just reading that. So (laughs) well, that's why we do the podcast and that's, (laughs) but that's what so much of this show is about. You know, I just spent so long talking about game of Thrones 
And then oh my I said, God, you oh, know I love it. Yes. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm gonna, it's going to be a welcome change to talk about a different show. And then as I'm watching Big Little Lies, I'm like, wait a second, this is just Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, this is the same show <laughs> because it's it's power dynamics and what it is, and it's so but much. It's totally it. different. Yes, yes, of course. But in a and way- it's not quite like overall. The overall overarching theme is not quite as dark as that of Game of Thrones. Yes, and that is, that's something that. Though I will definitely miss it. R.I.P. Game of Thrones well, on HBO. We'll, we'll be back. It'll be back. Trust <laughs> oh, me. Oh, you know, we'll get our prequels. But anyway, <laughs> we digress. Um, the the show is so much about control and power dynamics and it is. agency and um but also there's a generational thing that's going on here as in Game of Thrones. And you see with the way that um you said as Perry reacts and the, all the parents really react to the central event, which starts the show, which is Amabel, which, who is Laura Dern's daughter, Renata's daughter. Uh, yes. Saying, Laura Dern's a little crazy in this show. <laughs> oh, ama- I love her. She's so amazing. <laughs> I, I, I really think that she acted an amazing um, character, Renata, but I did not like her character at yeah, all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think you're supposed to, you know? Right. I don't think, I don't think she likes herself either, but that we get that central uh, problem here, which is that Ziggy, who is Shailene Woodley, Jane's son is accused right. of doing this. And we, in a rewatching, we know the whole time that we that he s- didn't do it, right? but, but that he is Alexander Skargard, Skargard's right. son, Skargard's right. son. So as I'm watching <laughs> the scenes with Celeste and Perry and their two little twins and they're sitting there and they're, and that's, we get so many little suburban little family scenes within the kitchens of these right. homes, right. Um, mostly with Celeste and Madeline uh, mm-hmm. with, with uh, Jane it's in that one central room and with Renata really her and her husband, it happens more on their deck. We get a lot of shots of them. Extra frou-frou house. Yeah. Oh my God. That these houses in the show are amazing. All but, of them oh, except yeah. for Jane's. Even that one is kind of cute. I, I'm not going to lie. It's a cute you know, little it's not, bungalow, yeah, but it's, it's not, not terrible. like those. Yeah. Like that apartment Celeste was going to rent at the end was nicer than Jane's little house. Yes. I did <laughs> notice that. I know when she looks out and she's like, I'm escaping. And I'm like, she's escaping to a pretty nice house. Um, <laughs> that's at least one thing. But the, this, this central idea of the, um, the these little family scenes and how the parents are reacting to the abuse on the the level of the children and how they react to things right. on their level is understandably is is so is such a central point and such an interesting point and then whenever we're at the table with Celeste and Perry I was always thinking of Ziggy every time I was when I rewatched, did that happen to you? Where like I just they cast so well. He looks more like his son than those kids. So, do. I actually the kid that plays Ziggy 
is is the kid that plays yes. young Sheldon on CBS. Yes. <laughs> but I remember back at the time actually looking him up on IMDb and when he does not have his head basically shaved down to a little buzz cut and he has hair, he definitely looks like he could be siblings with the twins. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I mean, honestly, but I think that's part of why they had him with a buzz cut yes. because you don't notice it as much because the twins have the longer, like almost bowl cut kind of haircuts. Their hair's long and Ziggy has like almost no hair. So it's not obvious, but if you look at them all with hair, they definitely could be siblings. Yeah. That's that, it's great. The way they do that because it makes you align you never, I never suspected that it, even though I knew, me obviously, either. I never suspected because the long hair kind of made me associate the kids with Celeste. And it, I kind of just had this feeling that they were, you didn't see much of them. You know, they just reacted to the dad and the mom and they were actually kind of well-behaved and cute. You right. know, you never see that. You never see them abusing the other little kid. Um, so, so there was one was time um, when the boys, when the twins had the shared uh, Harry the hippo, that the hippo wound up missing a leg. Oh, okay. Do you remember Harry the hippo? Yes, I do. <laughs> so when the twins had him for for their night with the twin with with the, with the hippo from school, the hippo wound up missing a leg. Oh man! There's and so many I only touches. noticed that on the second watch. I did not put that, that together great, on the Jenny. first. There's so <laughs> many like there's so many touches in the way every time they cut to Celeste and Perry, it's coming from a scene where someone mentions the murder, where someone, mm -hmm. the detectives, or there's always a, um, a little bit of foreshadowing. Ooh, ooh, Sorry, like that. Me. That's all right. That's phone foreshadowing. <laughs> so one of the great things I noticed about the show is all the foreshadowing, not only through the directorial style, which is these kind of almost Terrence Malick like images and sound. And there's a lot of separation of that, right? There's a lot of times where you see an image and hear a totally different sound. And mm -hmm. one of the times that they do this is when I think it's the third or fourth episode when um, Madeline's daughter is preparing a school assignment on Indians and it cuts from the police looking through the mirror and having a conversation at one of the witnesses. And they say, I don't believe any of them. And then it cuts to a shot of 10 Indians on the, on the, <laughs> on a screen. And then it goes back and they're talking about the thing. And if you remember, you know, the, uh, 10 Little Indians, the Agatha Christie story, where, spoiler alert, they are they all killed the person. That's like what that's like the um uh murder on the Orient Express, spoiler alert. Where I haven't watched it. Oh, okay. But I'm terrible. It's uh it's the old story of how it's not one person who did it, it was a group of people. You know, right? And like they playing do this. the game Clue, and I yes. have seen like the the I've seen like remakes of the. Uh, I actually saw the movie Clue. 
blue because my husband seems to like it. So we watch it every time it's on and it's so stupid. But yes, you have, it has I get all the it. Different I get endings. where you're going. But they do this throughout the show where ev- almost every time before we get, we cut to a family scene of Celeste and Perry and the kids there is a direct mention of murdering someone, killing someone, or who is abusing the little girl. And then they cut right to them. And this show is so intricately directed and shot. It's just a, and edited as well. It's amazing the way they do it, but especially with Celeste and Perry. Now, I want to talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about their relationship because obviously he's not going to be in season two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think that they're going to. He's gonna, hot and all, but. <laughs> yeah, we don't need, and I don't think that it serves a purpose. shitty. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't serve a purpose of having like flashbacks to him, even though we know. And honestly, I would not be surprised if they did that in season two, just because, again. Mm, I don't know. Alexander Skarsgård is hot. <laughs> yeah, and he's a great actor too. He is. He really he is. He's a great actor. I haven't I don't know any spoilers on the season. I don't know whether he's a part of the cast or not. Yo Tommy in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh but their relationship is so interesting because as we said, they don't just show him as, you know, coming home drunk, beating his wife. It's it's a part it goes deeper than that and it's a part right. of their relationship. It's it's a power struggle yeah. and it also is like he he wants to have the perfect family, but at the same time he wants to have her under his thumb twenty four seven. Uh it brings to mind the I don't even remember which episode it was in. I would have to scroll through my notes. But when um the boys left him. Actually, it was after that dinner scene that I referenced earlier where um, she was trying to get the boys in line. They didn't want to listen to her. They want to keep playing. And Perry was like, get, tells them to eat. They start eating. And then he suddenly turns it into like, it's game time and I'm the monster. And then they start running through the house and they start attacking Celeste. And um, now I forget where I was going with that. But they, where were we going? Just oh, I the, lost just it. Just the way that their <laughs> their violence was such an integral part of every facet of their relationship. Like you're saying. Oh, yes. The next the morning. Kids. The yeah. next morning they had left a, a crazy mess all over the, the house. Legos, yes. Yes. And he said he doesn't want to live in a pigsty and acted like a total ass. And she told him if he wanted it to be clean to go ahead and pick it up itself. And then she knew that was the wrong thing to say. And then later in the episode, when we see the flashbacks to what actually happened in that scene, he beat the shit out of her. Yeah. Literally. And and almost killed her by holding her head down to the pillow. And And then she continues on her day. You know, puts on her right. makeup and like goes it's out. just she put no, she doesn't just put on her makeup. She puts on her makeup and she puts makeup on over all the bruises that yeah. she has. Well, yeah, that's and what then she goes and sees the 
the therapist and is just like, blah, blah, blah. And the therapist is like, no, this is bad. And then she walks out of the therapist's office because she's, Celeste, I love you, but (laughs) I just can't. It's hard. It's hard to escape those situations in real life. And I feel like they represented it well in this show. Yeah, I do too. And that's why I think that's what made this show kind of rise above is that it was such a facet. It was so intertwined with every part of their lives that the only way to get away from it was to get away from him. There was no way to solve it, you know, because about halfway through the season, when they do go to the therapist, you're thinking upon rewatch, you know, what's going to happen. But when I was first watching, I said, maybe, maybe somehow they're going to figure this out. You know, maybe they, this can work out somehow. Is the show going to go this way? I didn't think it could. Right. I'm thinking. Because honestly, there are some people who can do that, but the vast majority cannot. Right. And that's why I was thinking that it wasn't going to. And unfortunately we see that the therapist almost immediately recognizes that too. Right. In my notes, I had said, um, she, you know, she was at the counselor. She, the counselor tells her to get an apartment that she needs to go through the, er, and, and Celeste tells her she just needs to go through the school event. She got an apartment. The doc tries to tell her she needs to leave. And Celeste instead just, just storms out of the doctor's office and then later on when she's prepping the apartment to to get ready for the boys and her to be there she keeps flashing back to the memories of the last beating she took and it's just like it's awful i it's awful and then jane calls her and uh, asks her to meet and she tells her at that point this is you know far along in the season but she tells her that that it's you know, Ziggy had told her that it was Max who was abusing Amabella. And Ziggy had been keeping her secret because Amabella asked him to because Max had said he, you know, that something would happen bad to her family. She would die, yes, whatever. She'd be killed dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they're just little kids. They're like, what? First graders? Breaking in here to talk to you about cufflinks.com. Jenny's doing a great job. We're having fun talking big little lies, but you know what's not a lie? It's 30% off sports. That's right. All sports. You like sports? Cufflinks.com has got it. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. You can use code DVR20 at all times to get 20% off, but you can also use the code SPORTS30 to get 30% off all sports all June long at cufflinks.com. So go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Support our presenting sponsor, baby. So Celeste and Perry are really uh, the kind of like the central couple here in, in this show. And they're not going to be around in season two. Um, no, not at all. And it, it just makes me wonder where we're going to find Celeste, what type of person she's going to be. Because we, one of the things I had mentioned earlier that I want to mention when we talk about them is this stark contrast, how she's so gentle. Like we see a lot of her at the little cafe with Madeline and um, with uh, Jane as well. And she's always so quiet and demure. But then when she's home 
with Perry. She has like she she's has like more fight with him. She definitely has yeah. some fire. Yeah. They have like I said at the beginning, they definitely had on-screen chemistry which was good the two actors, but um yeah, I mean Celeste and Perry a big part of their whole relationship even their abuse is the fact that they are so attracted to one another because whenever they would fight, even when it would be an abusive situation, when he would beat her and she would be hitting him and going back and forth, it would always end in sex every single time. So that was a big part of their relationship. And that was like, they, when, when she would be talking to the counselor, that would be part of the, the situation. She would talk about their passion for one another. And it's like, but, but that's not what life is all about, sweetheart. Yeah, it's a little too, a little too passionate. And, yeah, um, it can't be all about the passion. It has to be, yeah, lots of other things. But anyway. Yes. So to end on Celeste and, uh, and Perry, it'll be interesting to me if that fire and that passion that she had only with him in those scenes and never outside is displayed on the outside now. Right. Because she was starting to feel that passion for her, for the law that she had previously, apparently, I mean, I'm assuming that that she was apparently, uh, feeling that passion for the law previously because he fell in love with her when she was a lawyer. He fell in love with her before she had those children and he was controlling her whole life. But yeah, she, she had that passion for the law and she was missing it and she wanted to get back to it. And he wanted to get back to, Oh my God, I don't have you under my thumb anymore. I don't have you under my control yeah. anymore. What am I going to do seemed, with this? It's like, I want to have another baby. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. That, that part. I was like, Oh my God. But that's like, it was as, Oh, that was so classic. Have, so classic. He just, he, he, her light, right. He had to have all of it. And then she ended yeah. up by giving it all to him. So it's going to be interesting to me to see uh, Celeste bring that fire out uh, against Meryl Streep, because from what we understand in this second season, it really is a lot about her finding out what happened to her son. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see Nicole Kidman, because that one scene when she's she acts as a lawyer. She just takes over and she changes right, a little the, council meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She changes a dynamic and that's in front of Renata who up to that point is kind of like this fierce, I'm the business lady. You know, I know how to work everything and you uh, can't see me, but I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> But she, in the end, she just ends up kissing up and Nicole Kidman takes that's it That's really Renata's thing. That's yeah. what she does. Well, let's talk about let's talk about Renata and Gordon. Oh my God, I can't stand Gordon. I, actually, he was not that bad until the very end. I he agree. He showed to his keep true Renata yeah. in line. Yeah. For the most part, when all the stuff was going on with Amabella, and they didn't know who was for sure abusing her. They were assuming it was Ziggy, but then later to find out it was Max. But then when he came into the cafe where Madeline and Jane were at and, and threatened them, Jane specifically and Madeline as 
you know, cause she was there. It, it was crazy. Cause it was like, really dude, really? You've been cool this whole time. And now you want to be an asshole. Yeah. It was an example of like each one of the husbands at some point tries to be a tough guy to another one of the women or, or each other too. Yeah. Because Nathan, which is Madeline's ex-husband, uh, the, the character played by Zoe, Bonnie, Zoe Kravitz, um, her character, Bonnie is married to Nathan and has a daughter, um, sky by him. That's the same age as Madeline and Ed's daughter, Chloe, Ed and Nathan's little scene was so much pissing contest. It was ridiculous. Like literally. Yes. And Both Perry. Both times at the, at the party at, at the oh my uh, God. trivia night as well. Yeah. Because like Ed did an amazing job. Nathan did great. Zoe did great. But yeah, they, mm. <laughs> I just can't with those people. <laughs> they all, all the guys have to get up and, and Gordon throughout the series, really the journey of Renata and Gordon is really defined around the daughter being uh, bullied at school, fighting over Madeline about the party or going to see um, what was it? Uh, what, which was it? What what Disney the, the show Disney was it? on Ice Disney Frozen. on Ice Frozen, right? So yes. that's their kind of first fight, and then really Gordon is just kind of hanging out, drinking sometimes, like looking really skeevy, trying to keep his wife in check. <laughs> yeah, trying to keep her in check, trying to calm her down all the time, and then coming to her office and they have a a quick sex scene, which is really kind of forced and meaningless and she gets annoyed by it later. So it's like their relationship is, does not seem to be very strong. And I wouldn't, I don't know what's going to happen in season two, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them separated or their relationship really on the, on the right. It didn't seem to be like in a bad place or anything, but yeah, they didn't seem to really even care that much. You're right. Like it wasn't like they hated each other. It's just that they were kind of co-parenting and more involved in their own lives. And he seemed like he probably had, you know, the way he gawked at Bonnie throughout this show, like there was two or three times where they catch him like staring at her um, and staring at other women too. Or just kind of being like a skeever, like he's the last person right. to interact with um, with Perry. Like he's like, "Hey, bro, you know, remember they just take the drink, right?" When Perry's getting his yeah, drink, yeah, and the, he gets he gets drunk night. just before he dies. So I don't think that Gordon has a huge part in the show. He represents kind of the typical dude. Of you know, right. like of a powerful I feel like woman, that, I guess. I do feel like that scene with him and Jane and Madeline was not necessary. Right. That is that's the because only, I yeah. didn't I didn't dislike him before that. Yes, like he I, his I true felt like colors, he was though. keeping Renata in 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 check a little bit because she was a little she was more than a little. She was over the top. Oh, without a doubt. She was and the most. She was he was trying the to bring her down to earth. One. Yeah, 
he was trying to bring her back down to earth and she was not coming. And he was like, he was an okay guy until that scene with, with Madeline and Jane. Yeah. And, and I then wonder an if that's a, I wonder if that's a precursor of anything that might happen. I know because they didn't write this second season. I mean, they didn't, or they didn't have a second season in mind because there's only one book and it really does tell a contained story. But I do wonder with, with uh, Gordon, I saw kind of like, you know, he does, he gets into the fight with the, what's the guy's name at the cafe? Uh, the one that works at the cafe yeah. that likes Jane, Tom. Yeah. Tom. Okay. So he has that Tom escorts him out of the cafe. And in the last episode, he gives him he the little- that shit. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> right. He gives him, he gives him the little gun, you know, like I'm watching you kind of thing across the way at the trivia night. And so if yes. I was writing the second season, I would say, Hey, we've actually laid down some stuff with Gordon. I wonder whether he's going to have a bigger role in this season or whether they just kind of eliminate all that. But either way for us, for what was at the time, a mini series, I found it really interesting the way they had, he, this actor, Jeffrey Nordling, he really gave so much to Gordon. Like by the end of it, not that one scene, not yeah, I mean, he did embody the character yeah. for sure. It was really interesting because Renata Laura Dern is overpowering. She's such an amazing actress that. Oh my she, god, she's know. so thin! It makes me sick. Is she? Re- you really think she's? Th- she didn't strike me as being so thin. Oh, look at the profile shots of her. She looks like she's <laughs> as thin as a piece of paper. I'm like, oh, oh my man. god, oh, that makes Dern. me like hurt. She, I want to eat. Did you ever see Enlightened? <laughs> No, I I think I've seen other stuff with her yeah. in it, but wow, she she did she did bring Renata to life, and she did a good job. But man, she's so thin. She's fantastic. I really wonder. Uh, coming into this season too, it seems to me that she would be a good foil for Meryl Streep's character as well. Right, and being that she's like the CEO of her own company or whatever, perhaps that will be her place in this new season. Mm, that's right. She has. She could have a lot of power. Um, yes. All right, let's move on to uh, Bonnie and Nathan. Nathan's uh, an asshole. Yeah, Nathan. Why really, he's another <laughs> one. Like it seems like each one of the guys gets worse. As so, the season progresses. Okay. Let me let me give my, my thoughts on this. So Perry is a controlling motherfucker who <laughs> yeah, he's hot and everything, but <laughs> and then Ed and 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 Madeline, they have they have no passion at all. He's a good guy, but they have literally no passion. And as we just discussed, uh, what's his name? Gordon <laughs> with Renata. It just seems like a weird power dynamic. They both seem like they're very powerful characters, but like, where do they intersect as an actual couple? Bonnie and Nathan, like Bonnie is like, like I said before, she's very granola. She's very, she's like enlightened and got all these higher power 
whatever views. And it seems like Nathan wants to go along with that, but underneath he's just an asshole. Like he, he treats his (laughs) ex-wife Madeline like crap. He excuses his behavior for when he was with her and the fact that he hasn't been around for his, his older daughter, Abigail, like he should have been. And he's doing it now for his younger daughter with Bonnie sky, which is cool for sky. But what about, you know, all that time and you, you can't, you can't go back and make things better but you can be a better person. And to me, it seems like in these episodes anyway, that, that his character, Nathan, he's not a better person. He's just doing what his wife wants him to do. And he, every time, like the, the times that he's interacted with Madeline independently from Bonnie and, or Ed, he's just an ass and when he and Ed interact in the in the times that they interact together when the when they met up on the beach when Ed was bicycling or whatever, they were both just asses. <laughs> I mean You're breaking it down, Jenny. I'm just listening. I'm like, you are I mean, one of, you got it. Yeah. Honestly, like Ed and Madeline, they have no passion for one another, but Ed comes across as still a good guy. Nathan insecure, but but trying to be a good guy. Yes, yes. Nathan is is yeah, he wants to be a good he wants to be a good dad, and I'm glad that he's he doing be better. As, it by seems his, to me, he wants to be seen as a good dad. It's yes, seen as a good and I'm husband. glad he's doing better yes. by his younger daughter. But he wasn't there for all those right. years for his older daughter, and I in retro, <laughs> I just see him as an ass. Yeah, I can't no, help. I it. think I think I, that was a gr- there you hey, you're picking up this podcasting thing pretty good there, Jenny. You broke it down. <laughs> no, you broke it down. That's I mean I, don't I do have like him better with Bonnie because he does seem to be trying a little harder. But whenever he has to interact with Madeline, his he regresses, and yes. he just acts like an asshole. There's something that's important here which is so interesting to me for the Bonnie character and the reason why she's the one who is the killer quote unquote in the end, the one who takes action. Oh dude. I love in the last episode, how like she's watching she's after, after she's done singing up on stage, which she does an amazing job at, by the way, I I, I bought, I I bought, the soundtrack from Amazon and I was really sad that they didn't have like the 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 Neil Young tune and the Go Ask Alice from Jefferson Starship because I oh, love that such song. Great music in but like series. they did have a lot of the other songs and they have that song by Zoe Kravitz that she sang. But anyway, I digress. When she came down from singing and she was there and she was watching. And she watched what what Ed was doing, and she mm-hmm. watched what what Nathan was doing, and she saw when Perry showed up, and she saw what was happening. I thought that was amazing. I love that because even when she made it down to wherever they were by the stairwell where Skarsgård winds up dying, um, his character winds up dying, um, she was watching from afar. 
Yes. Uh, Bonnie is the best character. Yeah. Yeah. She's because she's listening. She's paying attention. She's looking at what's happening around her. And I think that that's the thing is like you, you throughout have been saying, you know, she's the granola character. She's caught, you know, she's doing the yoga. She's the young, hot wife of the older guy who really just wants to kind of looks like he just wants to kind of hang out with his hot wife, have a few beers, go to sleep and wake up and do the next, do the same thing. He doesn't have much impetus um, towards anything and he doesn't have much responsibility and she actually, as the, I guess you would say, kind of trophy wife in a sense, right? Or in this scenario yeah. here in this community, she really is the one, and out of all these strong women too, right, who takes action, she watches what happens. It reminded me of Arya in Game of Thrones. She watches yes. what happens. Oh my God, yes. She sees throughout the whole series, you always see her watching. It's not just that scene. It's so well shot and even all the glances and looks in that final 40 minutes there at the um, trivia night, but just all the little images throughout. And you mentioned music. The music is amazing. And she was the only her. She was a great performance there, but she takes action in the end. And as these women are really, if you watch it, they're watching him kick. Nicole Kidman, uh, uh, Celeste, she's on the ground and they're trying to grab him. But at a point, at the point that Bonnie arrives, they've kind of come back and they just don't know what to do. They're just yelling at that point and she runs and just pushes him. And it's interesting to me. And I think that there's a point there. And I wonder how that'll be explored in the second season where you bring a kind of secondary older generation with Meryl Streep, how Bonnie as the young one is the one who takes action. And also we, you were talking about, um, we haven't mentioned yet the one plot that I thought was kind of weird, but now makes sense in reference to this whole thing here uh, and taking action, which is how Abigail's whole sex for money virginity thing, Mm -hmm. um, which really only made sense to me more as we're talking and upon rewatch that that's what it was about too, was about like claiming agency or just doing something like enough of the talking. She wanted to do something. She wanted to do something as a little rich girl in Monterey, California. And like, let me sell myself in response to all these people who are these women who and girls who are being sold, like, do you want to do something about this? How about you do something about that? Yes. That's, you know, she but was trying really to bring that it. awareness. Yeah, she was like yeah. putting it like in the same way. It seemed like the silliest thing in the whole series to me. But then when I rewatched it, I kind of felt like this is secretly super important because a lot, even when you look at the character of Jane, she never dealt with her rape. She, no. the only person she ever told was Madeline. She, she told Madeline and she knew that Celeste knew because Madeline had told Celeste, but yes. And, and she Ziggy only was six Madeline. years old. Yes. So for seven years, she kept that a secret 
from and she couldn't bring herself to 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 tell Ziggy. I mean, when they had to do the project for school with their family tree, and Ziggy wanted to, he was angry and he wanted to know who his father was, and she couldn't bring herself to tell him. Yeah, because I, I I mean, even though like shortly thereafter, she winds up giving him a very um, uh, she tells she gives him a sex talk, but it's like kind of clinical. She doesn't like make it, you know. For small children, and she that's doesn't. That's not what he was asking. You no, know, like that. It yeah, wasn't. Yeah, but that's what she. Yeah. That was that was the conversation she had with him because she wanted to be adult about it. She didn't, but she but she refused to tell him that her father had had raped her. You yeah. know. Yeah, but, it, was, it was the thing. The uh, the let's move on to the Jane character because she doesn't have obviously. There's no husband here, but it's really her son, Ziggy. But this character, Shailene Woodley, what a she really surprised me. Okay, it, so I've watched her. I I, I low-key watched uh, Secret Life of the American Teenager. Oh, okay. I heard that was <laughs> because, good. Because my, my daughter watched it for a while, and then I started watching it, and I had it set on my DVR, DVRpodcast.com network. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does. So I had watched it on my DVR, and I mean, it wasn't like the best show. It was on like the WB or the CW or some other network, but it had some good actors on it, and she was good at what she did. And I also watched her in the Divergent series of yes. movies which I had read the YA novels about that as well. And she did a decent job of bringing her character to life. Um, but I really, really liked her in this, in this series because she, she did well at, at bringing this character to life. Oh, who, man. You know, this amazing, this person who's been raped and doesn't know for sure who raped her. And the whole um, episode of her, her going to see this man who Madeline had found online thinking it was the man who had raped her. Mm. And the fact that like his physical resemblance was his facial appearance was not nearly what Alexander Skarsgård is, but like his, the way he walked, the way he, the way he talked and carried himself was similar. That's and it was amazing. It really was. It was edited. So, so much of it's, Edited in a way that you see oh, the end. The you see her running out. I love it. Yeah, like you see her <laughs> running out of the store before you even see what happened. That the bag dropped and he saw the gun. Like and you see all this. It just it's like memory. It doesn't really matter in what order things happen. It's honestly it's left. that was one of the things that I loved, and I I mentioned it in my notes throughout the episodes was her flashbacks to herself running along the beach in that yes. blue dress. Yep. So and much her, and her hair her hair was long, so you could tell it was at a different time period. Because even though she wore her hair up a lot in the in the the current time period in the se- series. You, her hair was shorter when she yes. had it down. Yep. So you saw that long hair and that blue dress, and it was like partially the one shoulder was off. So you knew something had happened, but you didn't know what had happened. And the time when they showed her running, and she and she wasn't in the blue dress, and she almost ran off the cliff, and it was like. Oh my God, is she trying to kill herself? And it's like when you see the things that happened to her, 
you could understand where she was coming from. As, at least as a woman, I can't speak as a man, but as a woman, you could definitely so, know where definitely. she was coming from. No, without a doubt, and it's 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 trauma, and it's and and the fact was that one of the things I was surprised by when you watch something week to week, as opposed to when you stream it, you know, it's different. And you, I noticed the repetitive, she run, she goes on runs five, six, seven times. You see her waking up at night. She, she runs at least gun. once in every episode. Yeah. And, and, and when she runs, she's, and she's always getting some call from the school or she gets angry. She talks yes. to her mom a couple oh of times. Oh my God. The stuff with the school yeah. like makes me so angry because it's meet, like, yes, when she meets, they with assumed this every yeah. single time. So after that first time when Amabella pointed at Ziggy, Every time it was assumed that it was Ziggy that had hurt Amabella and the teacher assuming that every time made me so angry because it's like, you can't assume like they're little kids. Yeah, it was, it was, it was tough, but to get back to that character, um, it wasn't until I think it's the third episode, maybe or fourth episode when she tells Madeline about, uh, her rape. And then when she tells her, you're the first person I've ever told. And you see the way that the fact that to bring it back to, it was, and that was a good, uh, good little um, transition from Bonnie to Jane, by the way, in podcasting terms there, Jenny. Um, but you see the way also Bonnie took action. Jane just never took any action. She didn't try to help herself. And the result of, her projecting that behavior onto her son, it was almost as if the whole experience is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like she tried all she could she could to avoid this situation. She didn't tell her son about the father. She didn't seek therapy or help. It wasn't until she found Madeline that she was able to confide in someone. And it's the same way when the therapist says to um, Celeste, you've got to tell a friend yes, about because, what's going on. I mean, especially with Celeste having been later, a lawyer, you know? because yeah. if, if you don't tell anyone, you have no proof. Yes. Honestly, and that's the, I mean, that's even so, with bruises, it could be yeah. from anything. But you nope. see what happens, like thematically, um, it's only when she tells Madeline that the it's the ball starts rolling, right? And it's through that kind of I'm going to search for him, and just the energy that's created through that that she eventually is run into a situation where she finds the person who it is, which is Perry. And that's only moments before Bonnie kills him. But it's just interesting to me. This show is so intricately written. Uh, It's just beautiful. The way you said things about control. It's not only about controlling others. It's about people controlling themselves. And so much of what Jane is, is trying to control herself in this situation, which she cannot control. She cannot, you know, it's beyond that type of control. All right. So let's, this is great talk. Let's end it with the, really the star, which is Reese Witherspoon as Madeline, Martha McKenzie, Adam Scott as Ed McKenzie. 
They have a young daughter, uh, Chloe, and a daughter from Madeline's first marriage, Abigail. Reese Witherspoon just kills it in this show. I mean, I don't, every time she's on the screen, it's electric. And she's never really been my favorite actress, but oh, as of, re- you know, recently she's been like with that movie, what is it? Uh, in the in the wild or that she did actually with um with i think uh didn't did who what direct didn't uh, uh didn't mark didn't jean mark valet direct that yeah wild? i don't know i think i he don't did. know that i've seen that yeah that's a great film but she was fantastic i honestly i i watched her in like legally blonde which i yes. thought was very cute yeah. but i loved her as um June Carter Cash in Walk the Line. I oh, thought she did yeah, an amazing right. job in that movie. She was great in that. And um, Adam Scott, low key in this. Awesome. I love Adam Scott. And th- we've talked a lot about their relationship already. But I wonder, do you think she'll again be kind of the star of this second season that it'll be so much focused on her? Do you think so? Honestly, I feel like it was an ensemble and and I do understand where you're coming from yeah. that she was like the quote unquote star, but I feel like it was really oh, her yes. and Nicole yeah. and Shailene. Yes. Oh, I agree I, with that, but I kind of feel like yeah, Madeline it was centered the, on her. Yeah, she's the center of it all. You know? She is because she's the one that was friends with Celeste before and befriended Jane immediately as soon as the series started. And sometimes I smack Madeline because I'm like, really? <laughs> like she acts a little extra. <laughs> she does. Oh, she totally acts extra, but she is the, she's the impetus throughout everything. She's searching for everything. And you see, she's searching in her marriage because no joke. Ed is kind of a dud. I mean, let's be honest. With her, there there yeah. isn't a whole lot of chemistry. Yeah, and like even when 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 Celeste had sent her the text message after she and Perry had had their little moment and then the Madeline's like trying to get something worked up with Ed. Yes. And right. and Chloe <laughs> Chloe walks in and it just blows it all up. That's and it's just scene. like they have they have no chemistry. No. There is no chemistry. No. And Ed even brings it up later on. He's like, We don't have this. Like yes. what 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 can we do? And where do you think nothing. this Jenny, where do you think it goes? Because as we end the second se- as we end the first season Ed has figured out that she was cheating with the play director. Do you really think he figured yes, that out? Yes, definitely. Because, <laughs> yeah. Don't you think so? Although in that last episode, man, there were lots of looks going That's between what I'm saying. Madeline yeah, and, no, he looks, and what's-his-face's wife. When he's doing his show, he looks Joseph, at her like, and then he looks over. I mean, it's shot. It's They're purposefully Oh, he's like singing way. this song that yeah. he literally wants to be singing to her. And she feels like shit. And then she winds up running off and then Jane follows her. And then uh, uh, what's her face? Bonnie is watching everything and she winds up following them after she sees Perry following them. And then Renata shows up and Renata's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And then. Well, do you think I wanted to get, let's take, let's go back a few steps. Do you think that in the second season we'll deal with 
Ed uh and 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 um and Madeline's marriage, where do you think it'll be at? Do you think that I, I think that he did figure it out. And I hope for, you know, happiness sake that they're able to work things out because obviously there's some love there, but like yeah, I'm hoping they figure it out and okay. that they're they're still able to make it through. But I'm not really like <laughs> counting any chickens because you know they have not hatched yet i because i almost feel that the trajectory for madeline's character coming into this season is that she took so much action she was doing everything around but she was met it was all in other people's lives instead of taking care of her own life and i would hope that you're right they either work it out or they've moved on. But in the last episode, right. at least, Ed seemed to kind of stand up a bit. He did the song. He caught, you know, he. Right. After his song, he's looking for her. He asks her ex, Nathan, if he's seen her. And they get a little to, to a little fight again, but he doesn't. Right. He stops. He tells though. Ed, Nathan tells Ed that, that Bonnie told her, him that, that she stepped away. And, and Nathan tells him to go, quote unquote, tend to her, that she drank too much. No offense. Well, Ed takes offense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because he and Nathan don't have that kind of relationship. And he's just like, have you seen her? And he's like giving him advice. I don't want advice, motherfucker. <laughs> I just want to know where my wife is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jenny. Well, listen, I think that we've done, I, I think we're, uh, I, I think we've been talking for a while here. <laughs> we've wrapped it up pretty well with these characters. I know I have terrible language too. No, that's okay. That's okay. Your language is digressing, but our thought process is progressing. That's what we do here on DVR podcast, baby. But what are you, as we wrap it up here, the first season ends, obviously Perry is dead. We've got the detective who is on the case. I don't know what her name is. Uh, I believe she is appearing again in the show. And it looks like we're going to have the introduction of Perry's mom, Meryl Streep. Right. I don't know anything that's going to happen in the show. Honestly, I'm totally spoiler free. I don't think you know anything either. either. The only thing I've seen yeah. is the one little preview thing they've done. That's all I've seen. Which seems like that Meryl Streep is on the case to find out what happened to her to son. To her son, yes. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be a se- another central mystery here? Do you think that we're just going to have more of a straight drama? I can see them dropping the kind of central mystery, but I'm not sure. I think they, um, I don't know. What do you think? I guess I feel like they're probably going to, uh, you know more about film than I do. (laughs) But I, I guess I feel like from the little bit of preview that I've seen and that Meryl Streep wants answers as to what happened. Right. Yeah. That, um, they're going to be investigating all these women and the stories that they told because they seem to probably be the same story a little too much. I, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, by the way. And they mention but, that. They mention yeah, that. Right. Yeah. Like, like 
even so so in a a lot of um true crime podcasts it winds up that the police wind up telling all the very same story and the i i don't recall i don't recall i don't recall because they don't want to give too many details and i feel like that's probably going to be similar to what the women tell you know madeline jane celeste renata and bonnie because they don't want to throw Bonnie under the bus because she's Miss Granola and she's the one that was like so unoffensive for all this time. And but she she's the them. one, yeah. she is the one who literally pushed him down the stairs and he wound up dying as a result. Did he deserve it? Fuck yes. He deserved it. <laughs> I mean, in the end, as I wrote in my notes, death scene, Perry rushes. Throws Madeline down, so not his wife. Beats Celeste, his wife. Hits Renata, not his wife. And then Bonnie rushes at him and shoves him to his death. But he also raped Jane. So all of those women are involved in that bit of story. So, I mean, they're all telling the same story, which the police are likely to find to be suspicious. So I think that's probably where we're going with this season. I'm looking forward to it because I want to see how they do it. I, I I loved the first season and I hope they make this kind of like a whodunit as well so that it winds up being as interesting as the first season was because, you know, it took seven episodes for me to find out who died and who did it and I, why. I wonder if, I, I'm going to make a prediction here, knowing nothing about this season at you all. You are the king of predictions. Here, here we Excellent. go. Here we go. Is it going to be that Meryl Streep's character dies and we're going to wait not. the whole season to find out who killed her? Did she find out who killed her her son? And is that why she ended up dying? That's my little prediction here. I don't know anything past that. I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. I think we had a great time on our first podcast together, Jenny. I did for sure. I think this was <laughs> awesome. It was fun. I think we got gave everyone a good idea of what happened last season, what the characters are like, where we're coming into, headed into this new season. We're going to be with you every week. We're going to try to do this every Wednesday. It'll come to you probably, I'm on the West Coast, so later for the East Coasters. It'll also be on the Daily DVR uh, feed. You can subscribe to that as well as its own feed, Big Little Lies here. Uh, Jenny, is there anything else you wanted to say about this first season and headed into this second one? Other than that, you know, domestic violence is not a joke. It's very serious. And if you're a victim of domestic violence, please seek help. Definitely. Uh, Beyond that, I mean, I really enjoy this show. I think that season two is going to be fantastic. And um, I'm looking forward to talking to you more about it, Axel. Yeah, me too. And I hope my voice isn't too annoying. No, your voice is great. (laughs) I'm really, you know what I'm really interested in is the new director that they're bringing, Andrea Arnold, has a very actorly approach and although a very poetic approach like Jean-Marc isn't that name Jean-Marc Vallée had with the images and the sound. 
I, I just, I wonder how this story is going to be told because the music was such a huge part of it so too. Love the music. They were always singing and dancing at home or in the car. There was always music playing, whether it was through headphones or in the cafe or at their homes or whatever. And I just wonder how this season is going to feel different. I wonder if it's going to be that similar vibe because like I was saying, um, This show, though it's so hard at times, and I mean, I was in tears in the final episode at other times too. It is so the, 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 where it is shot on location in Malibu and in Monterey, and it's beautiful and it's kind of fun to watch. It's like candy, but at the same time, it's, it reminds me of that movie, Hard Candy. That's what I, how I describe it. It's like hard candy. It's, hard to watch it sometimes because you never know when some violent image was going to pop on the screen. Right. And the, and the, and the images with, um, with Nicole Kidman and Alexander Skarsgård, some of them were especially bad. It was, it was hard to see. I mean, like I said, I've been in that situation previously and it's, it's a very serious situation, Yeah, but I feel like they did a good job. I love this show. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. And I love the music. And I I need you to like end this episode playing um, White Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Because that's like my favorite song. I'll try. From the series. I'll try. Anyway. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Great music. We just keep on going on. So much good music. Let's end the episode. We're looking forward to it. We'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, episode one of season two is this Sunday on HBO. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at dvrpodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll let Jenny take us out. Thank you so much people for listening. We appreciate it. Can't wait to talk to you more about the rest of uh, big little lies season two. Peace. happens that's a that's a classic forgot to hit record on the first podcast that's a good omen okay it's a good omen good deal here we go